Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, April 26th, 5.30 a.m. Central Time. As I speak here, July corn futures up one and a half at 6.09 and a quarter. July soybeans up three and three quarters at 14.21 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up one at 654. July Kansas City wheat down a half at 802 and a half. July spring wheat down one and a half at 835. Where are we going to start this morning, boss? So the nearby July corn contract was able to hold key chart support yesterday. The con the contract bottom near a trend line that runs from the July 2022 low through the March 2023 low. Traders noted that yesterday's session featured larger volume on what could have been a reversal to the upside. It looks so stupid that like you can just draw these lines on a chart, but they absolutely matter. People absolutely watch these trend lines. So you've got this trend line that comes off of this July low, goes through the March low. That's almost exactly where we bottomed yesterday. Uh, as you mentioned, this was a slightly larger volume session which is a positive. Can you call this a reversal? Uh, that's a loosely used term, but we did go down. We made some fresh multi-week lows. We rallied back, finished the day close to unchanged. Uh, the December corn contract did something similar. So this is absolutely worth watching and you could very easily go down and, and take out those lows today. But for the moment, uh, this is, I suppose, a positive sign. If you're a bull in the market, you can hang your head on this at least at least momentarily. And if you're a trader and there's never any trading advice in these videos, guys, but the way to trade this sort of thing is, you know, you buy it up against this trend line, you risk a, a close or a trade below the trend line. I mean, that's the way that a lot of people would handle this. That's not a recommendation, but uh, this is maybe, maybe a positive sign. We hope that this uh, holds here today. What's up next? Uh, so rain is falling over parts of the U.S. Southern Plains here this morning. The radar is active over parts of Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and northern Texas. These areas have been plagued by drought, resulting in some of the worst winter wheat conditions on record. Oklahoma should see the best amounts with regard to U.S. HRW wheat areas. The Mid-South, Southeast, and East Coast will also see substantial rainfall over the next week. It's about time. Um, if you guys are in uh, parts of eastern Colorado, western Kansas, um, western Oklahoma, north Texas, Texas Panhandle area, if you have rainfall amounts uh, that you've seen to this point, uh, drop them in the YouTube comments here. I'd be very curious to see if this thing hits the expectations. Uh, you know, the forecast had indicated that maybe you'd get an inch and a half, two and a half inches of rain out of this deal in some of these areas, and you could certainly use it. Um, as we know, these areas have been plagued by drought. Uh, winter wheat crops in these areas are in terrible shape. When you look at the next seven days, um, yeah, the rain's going to be confined to, I mean, Oklahoma's going to get the most of this in regard to your winter wheat areas. And then, uh, you know, the Mid-South, the Southeast, and then the East Coast. A lot of the Corn Belt, your Illinois, Iowa, uh, up into Nebraska, Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, going to be kind of on the uh, drier side. What about temperatures? Uh, so temperatures in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota should warm drastically next week. Above normal temperatures are slated to arrive in these areas by the middle of next week. This morning's Euro model suggests highs near 70 degrees or better across most of the three states. The, the central corn belt and much of the country will also see a warming trend about this about the same time. 
Yeah, so this is a big deal, and this is much, much needed. So this map on my screen here, this is North Dakota, South Dakota, parts of Minnesota. I mean, you're talking mid-70s uh, for a lot of these areas by the middle part of next week. The warm-up's going to come Tuesday, Wednesday. This is a much-needed deal. Not only has it been uh, cold up there, there's still snow on the ground in some places. There was snow uh, recently. You've got flooding in the Red River Valley. You've got a, a lot of issues that will delay planting in a lot of areas, but this may be some light at the end of the tunnel uh, for some people at uh, the very least, I think. So if you guys aren't already checking out our premium subscri subscription, you sure need to do so. Joe, tell me about what we had going on yesterday. So we've had some historical strength in the May versus July corn spread, your nearby spreads. There's been a lot of talk about that. What does it mean? I want to step further in yesterday's video. I took uh, the years in which the May-July corn spread has traded a 40 cent inverse or better. There's only five of them. And we looked at new crop price action in those same years. So in a year like this, okay, we have a, May a strong May-July corn spread. What does the December corn contract do in years like that? I went through, had a whole bunch of charts, had a few things on the supply demand side. If you guys are interested in the premium stuff, go to standardgrain.com. You can sign up this morning. This is a $50 per month subscription. You can cancel at any time. No other fee, no other obligation. Nobody will try to sell you anything else. Just a ton of information direct from us every single business day, guys. Uh, you can do this on your phone in about one minute if you guys are busy uh, this morning. Back and forth chatter regarding the Black Sea grain deal uh, continues to occur. Moscow says it has been, it has seen practically no results from a deal struck with the United Nations to help Russia's grain and fertilizer exports. Russian leaders have said that the deal will not be extended beyond May 18th unless its demands are met. Russia's foreign minister praised some of the UN efforts in New York this week, but continued to indicate that there have been no results. Mackenzie, when people think about this, they think it's a big deal for the wheat market, and that's because of what the wheat market did uh, about this time last year following the invasion. The fact of the matter is this. These are USDA's projections. USDA projects that Ukraine will account for 6.8%, not even 7% of global wheat exports this year. Corn, on the other hand, is a much bigger deal. USDA projects that Ukraine will account for 14.7%, almost 15% of all global corn exports, and that Ukraine will be the world's third largest uh, corn exporter behind only Brazil and the United States. They'll export more than Argentina this year, according to USDA projections. So while everybody, not everybody, but I think a lot of people believe this is a bigger deal for the wheat market, but I think Ukraine in a vacuum is a bigger deal for the corn market based on the uh, statistics and projections that I see when it comes to uh, exports. So some interesting stuff there. U.S. consumer confidence fell to a nine-month low in April. Fears of a potential recession and a deteriorating labor market caused consumer confidence to drop to 101.3 in April, according to data from the conference board. Economists polled by the Wall Street Journal expected the index to register 104. The expectations index, which looks ahead six months, also declined to a nine-month low in April from 74 to 68.1. Persistent readings below 80 usually lead to a recession during the following year. A gauge of consumer sentiment for the economy was positive as it increased from 148.9 to a two-month high of 151.1. Nonetheless, economists are still expecting a recession in the near future. 
recession predictions have been out there for more than a year now. I mean, it's been it's been a long run of people predicting uh, recession. I'm going to show you guys my S&P 500 chart, and I understand that the stock market is not the economy. They're not the same thing. Uh, you may look at this and say, Joe, is this a joke? Your, your wall of worry here. Uh, this is actually, if there's like one uh, lesson to learn about the stock market, it's that bull market's tend to climb a wall of worry. That's the way that they say it. So when when this thing uh, does decide to rally, and I don't know if that low uh, from October of last year, I don't know if that was the low or not, but when the market does dig itself out of this thing, it will do it on a wall of worry. There's not going to be like a bunch of like positive news and all of a sudden everybody's gonna change their attitude. That The market tends to rally on a wall of worry, essentially. The market climbs a wall of worry. That's what we're doing right now, the way that I see it. This is a weekly look at the chart. And uh, no, this is not like any uh, fancy technical analysis, but this is actually, in my opinion, if you understand this concept, this is much better than any uh, technical analysis over the long term uh, that you could ever throw on a chart. Uh, U.S. home prices increased in February. Home prices climbed month over month in February, ending seven consecutive months of price declines. National data showed home prices rose 0.1% in February compared to the prior month and 0.4% over the last year. Economists were forecasting a 0.35% decline for the month and a 0.1% decline compared to last year. The increase in prices predates the disruptions in the banking industry that began in early March. Housing prices may be hampered going forward in the coming months due to mortgage lending and economic weakness. A couple notes here. Uh, these are seasonally adjusted numbers, and they're from two different groups. We've got Case Schiller, and we've also got uh, Federal Housing Finance Agency. Um, so prices are, are sticky. It's just that we're not selling as many homes. We've got a shortage. I mean, there's a shortage of houses. Uh, we know the interest rates are high. So, I mean, I feel like this is more normalization than anything. I think what happened in 21 and the first part of 22 with the super low rates and everything, that was like an anomaly. I think what's happening now is we're seeing a return to more of a normal situation. And I think the biggest problem overall is, is not the the higher interest rates because historically speaking, a 6% rate on a 30 year is not bad. I, th I think the issue is, is the shortage, if anything. First Republic Bank shares plummeted on Tuesday. Shares fell 49% to close at a new low of $8.10. The bank is well known for falling, falling into the top 20 U.S. banks by total deposits. One day prior, First Republic announced it had lost roughly $100 billion in deposits during the first quarter. Since trading at $115 per share in early March, First Republic stock has decreased by more than 90%. The bank plans to cut between 20% and 25% of its employees to hopefully alleviate some of their problems in the second quarter. Any safety net that uh, federal regulators provide to First Republic will most likely be met with quite a bit of criticism uh, because it will be viewed as the government bailing out a bank for the wealthy. So you've got another probable bank failure here. We had uh, SVB and Credit Suisse and all that stuff in March. And the reason why uh, we decided to throw this in here this morning is because I think personally, I think those banking issues that we saw in March uh, resulted in some issues in some of our commodity markets. Uh, the cattle market was actually the most obvious one that I saw, but we saw some corrections in some other markets that had otherwise strong fundamentals. When uh, these banks and, and their depositors get nervous, uh, it can have an impact on, on everything. I'm not sure. I haven't followed this story super closely. I mean, but you're talking a top 20 bank that's that's lost like a 
an enormous percent of its market share. So something's going on here. I mean, this is it's another bank run. Somebody knew something. Uh, we'll get the full story eventually. What did the cattle market do yesterday, Mackenzie? Uh, live and feeder cattle futures, they were both down across the board on Tuesday, but not huge losses. Live cattle saw marginal losses, closing an average of 38 cents lower. Feeder cattle saw more substantial losses, closing an average of 96 cents lower. Far this choice beef ended in 63, that was up 51 cents, and select ended the day at 287.62, that was down one dollar and eight cents. Outside markets this morning, guys, US dollar is off just a little bit. Uh, SP's up seven, the Dow Jones down 30. Bonds are off a little bit, gold's up five bucks, crude oil floating around unchanged, about 77 bucks. Have a great day today, guys. We'll talk to you on Thursday.